Hello, mainstreamers and cinephiles and everybody in between. I'm Bryant. And I'm Caitlin. And Operation Silver Screen is a go. Welcome, everyone, to another weekly debrief. Each week, Brian and I take on a case from our backlog of must-see films that either one of us or both of us have yet to see. And our debrief will provide not only our opinion of the film, but will also discuss the significance and influence in both the film industry and society as a whole. Along the way, we'll also provide other fun trivia and insights on the film. So, Brian, what was our objective this week? So, around this time, I think there was going to be a new movie by a rather iconic director and writer, one of the Cohen brothers. However, a little a little incident had occurred called the writer's strike. I'm not sure if you guys heard about it. There's, I don't know, I think like a small group of writers, they were distraught about some things and disgruntled. And yeah, so a lot of movies got canceled, delayed, but we thought, hey, like, you know, one, uh, we have some guests who like the Cohen brothers, and we wanted to do an episode with them. So we, like, we're going to go ahead and proceed forward. And also, we have actually quite a bit of Cohen brother movies to go ahead and do for this podcast still after this one. So today, we're going to be going ahead and doing The Big Lebowski. And I mentioned that we have some ca- guests. This is actually returning guests. Uh, we have Baron and Rick from the Caster Guild. You guys want to say hello? Hello. My name is Baron Kane. I gotta keep it low now. Yeah, you gotta keep that voice for the whole podcast now. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm Guildmaster Rick from over at the Caster Skilled Podcast. And if you guys, you know, for some reason we're skipping episodes, they were on our Cornello Cor- is it Cor- Le- Cornello, right? Cornetto. 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 God dang it, I was like, <laughs> Cornetto or Corletto, which doesn't even sound right. Cornetto Trilogy, uh, which was... That was a that was a great time. That was a good episode. I think that's the only trilogy that we've done so far. We do have some planned in the future, but that was a good episode. And what what was that face, Caitlin? I feel like we've done other trilogies. We've done uh, uh, worst person of the Oslo trilogy. Okay, yeah, we did do the Oslo trilogy, which is one of yeah. our best, uh, actually one of our best episodes. Yeah. And this is a movie, I have seen this movie, The Big Lebowski. Caitlin, this is a movie you have not seen, right? I have not seen this movie, and there's no reason for it, but I realized today that my mind had meshed together, or I realized yesterday when I was watching this movie, that my mind has meshed together this movie and being John Malkovich, which I also haven't seen. So, like, (laughs) I I didn't know what I was going into at all watching this movie because I just could not separate those two in my brain yeah those are pretty far apart yeah <laughs> yeah even when, when she told me i still i've had like 24 hours to think about it and i don't get it i don't know how the because, two because like i've seen the being john malkovich trailer i've not seen the actual movie but for some reason i think my mind was taking things from that trailer and putting it together with the lebowski so i was like oh this isn't as weird as i thought it was gonna be <laughs> I would be interested to see the dude go into the mind of John Malkovich. That would be interesting. Or vice versa. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was expecting. <laughs> see, that's the part that even confused. Like, I, I don't... We're going to spend too much time on it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, you guys, Rick, has this been a... I think Caitlin told me this is a movie that you have seen before, right? Oh, yeah. This was... Uh, I was one of those people who watched this movie over and over again during, like, college age like right out of high school mm. and 
uh, this that was true for a lot of people with this particular movie that's like how it got its cult following is a bunch of college age kids watching this movie over and over again and i was one of them yeah i mean the dude is definitely a positive role model for early college students <laughs> <laughs> and what about you baron oh well, i've de- i've definitely seen the movie probably more times than i wanted but yeah definitely I- i've seen the movie hmm, interesting <laughs> yeah, I've seen this movie. This is the second time that I've seen it. Uh, it was just I knew it was a Coen Brothers film. It was a you know a famous film. So it's one of those like I was knocking off on my list. And I'll go ahead and talk a little bit more about my my first experience watching it compared to watching it now because it was different. Do know as always with the first portion of our episode, it is going to be spoiler free. And when we get to that spoiler portion, I'll make sure to go ahead and give you guys a warning. So don't worry at all. And talking about the the Coen Brothers, this is our first time doing a Coen Brothers film. Caitlin, have you? Well, I already said that we have, you know, more Coen Brothers films to to watch. I know that I've seen a couple. Um, so, which ones have you seen? Uh, I've seen No Country for Old Men, A Simple Man, Blood Simple. Uh, what else have I seen? I've seen others. But I, I think this one and Fargo were the main ones that I haven't seen that are considered must-sees. I gotta see if Raising Arizona is one. Definitely Fargo. Ah, okay. I've also seen True Grit. I have not seen True Grit. I forgot that was a Coen Brothers film. Oh, yeah. Brother, Where Art Thou? That's another film we need to see. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, I haven't seen that one. That's a good one. And it gets kind of confusing because they do films, you got Coen Brothers films, and then you got each brother kind of doing their own thing as well. Uh, yeah, so like, I didn't realize this was a singular Cohen directing. No, it both, was produced both were directing. by the other. Ah, I don't uh, think so. Or at least that's not what it says on Letterboxd. <laughs> IMDb. It says only Joel. Only Joel Cohen. Oh, IMDb, though, it says Ethan Cohen uncredited. Oh, uh, okay. Well, he produced, so I mean, he probably had a pretty big say in it anyways. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was there and directing and doing things. Yeah. Maybe he just wasn't, like, the studio was like, we're not, we know you guys are a hive mind. We're not paying both of you. <laughs> <laughs> or since he was producing, like, if he was going to be directing as well, why also pay himself? If he's going, he probably has a deal with his brother, like, hey, I'll produce, you direct. Mm-hmm. Mm. Or at least that's how it'll show up in the credits. Yeah. Yeah, the credits and the tax forms, that's... They yeah, got to work that's out. That's where it's important. <laughs> and then, like, uh, inside, inside, Lewin, Lewin Davis is one of the Cohen brothers. Yeah, that one I haven't seen either. Yeah, that one, that one's good. Good if you like Oscar. Oz, God dang, I can't talk today. Oscar Isaac. <laughs> that's a good film to watch. Isaac Oscar. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what I was trying to do there. Isaac, comma Oscar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What about you guys? You say you watched The Big Lebowski a number of times. Uh, are you a fan of just that movie, or have there been a lot of Coen Brother films you have seen? I've probably seen the majority of them. Not like I was searching out Coen Brothers movies. It just, you know, they get good reviews, and people recommend them, and they're like, oh, this will be a good movie. Um, to be honest, when Caitlin reached out to me and asked if I wanted to do an episode on a Coen Brothers movie and then like gave me a list or I think I looked up a list and I saw Big Lebowski on it. I honestly forgot this was a Coen Brothers movie, mm-hmm. um, but I saw it and I was like, I fucking love that movie. So yeah, let's go with that one. I think for me, 
Uh, I was just going to say, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou is my favorite movie that they've done okay. um, by far. Um, but Lady Killers was pretty good, too. I haven't seen that one. Yep, it's a remake. Hmm. I'm an older. Oh, I, I've actually seen Lady Killers. My mom showed me that movie. Actually, she showed me a lot of Coen Brothers films. Like, uh, she bought, you know, when they used to do DVDs, they'll have like two movies on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that one had Fargo and Raising Arizona. We watched those back to back. Also, they did a recent movie, Tragedy of Macbeth, which I really liked. Yeah. Oh, did they do that one? Yep, they did that one. Yeah, I, I've been wanting to see that. So we got got plenty more to do. Definitely plenty more to do. Now, this is a well-received movie. Uh, even though it kind of started out mixed, this has a 8.1 on IMDb, and it is the number 209 out of the 250 top movies on IMDb. There's actually uh, a few Coen Brother films on there. This has a 80% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes with a 93% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which I expected. I see this movie more for the audience. And this is on the 1001 movies to watch before you die. Caitlin, what did you find? Yeah, so this premiered at Sundance in 1998 before hitting theaters where it just surpassed its 15 million budget domestically, but its worldwide gross is 46.7 million. And you're right, it did have mixed reviews at release, but it has since gained a cult following. It's frequently cited on several best of lists. Entertainment Weekly rated it number 34 of its top 50 cult films list. Uh, Empire Magazine also has both Walter and Vadud listed there. 100 Greatest Movie Characters of All Time poll. In 2014, it was also selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. We talk about a lot of films that have been selected by the Library of Congress for this reason. And they got quite the selection in there. They do. It is a very wide range of films that the uh, Library of Congress chooses. There was one we were both surprised about. Was it RoboCop? I think it was RoboCop. (laughs) Yeah. And do you guys know of any anything that we may have missed? Any other kind of wars that this film has? Anything you're familiar with? It's the reward of public opinion, really. I mean, mm. not many. I, I'm a kind of person who goes to geek conventions all the time, like anime conventions, gaming conventions, and not many movies or series have their own conventions and their own meetups. Usually, like they get lumped in. Like, if you really like this anime series, you can go to an anime convention or yeah. whatever. But there are Lebowski conventions, and it's not like there's a Lebowski convention. Like, they're all over the country. Wow. And I, myself, am ordained by the Church of the Latter-day Dude in Dudism. So <laughs> you can you can go ahead and get ordained online, and it's legal. Like, I could marry somebody <laughs> under the <laughs> ordination of the Latter-day Dude. So, I mean... If we're going to talk about, I think that's the biggest award they've gotten is just like the public opinion. Yeah. I did not know about that being ordained for that. They're not really surprised. I wonder if you can get that uh, put on. So you can have your, you know, you have your religion on your dog tags in the military. Mm-hmm. And Mm-mm. I've heard rumors that you can like, you can have Jedi on there or whatever the Star Wars religion is. So I wonder okay. if you can have the the dude on there. It, it, is that something that they just recently passed yes okay interesting because i know there for a while they wouldn't even they wouldn't allow the pinnacle it, it was still like a supported religion in the military but they wouldn't allow the pinnacle so yeah i heard recently too the 
Now, I'm not sure if it's the just, just the government or maybe the government and the military, but also they were recognizing the Nordic religions. I know someone who was studying that, and they're honestly the main reason they were doing so is because they wanted to grow out their beard. Oh. I've heard that too. But yeah, to just avoid court, they're just like, whatever. All right, go for it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if dudeism is one of the ones they've allowed on military dog tags as of yet. I, but it's basically just Taoism plus weed is dudeism. Makes sense. You can you can put you can put whatever religion you want on there. I I just kind of looked it up, and if it's on your dog tags, it looks like you can just put whatever. Because there's no list of official or uh, there's no list of official or approved religions as per uh, www.army.mil. Well, there you go. So I guess you Ah, can. I went my whole nine years, you know, just no, just basic Christian, non-denomination. Could have put a little pizzazz in there. So we mentioned the the main character a couple times in this film. It is the dude, you know, kind of probably like the true Big Lebowski in here, but not really the the Big Lebowski uh, because there's two Lebowskis in there. And the one that goes by the dude, he gets mixed up and somebody urinates on his carpet and he goes to the Lebowski that they were looking for and tries to get compensation. In doing so, he gets wrapped up in this noir plot of pseudo germans and trophy wives it it just uh, all sorts of craziness that he gets sucked into and all he wants is his carpet and to go to sleep it seems like it really tied the room together (laughs) it it really tied the room together i mean it did it did so caitlin you being the the odd one out here what did you think of this movie like I said, I I expected more absurdity because I wasn't sure of the movie I was watching, but I think there's some absurdity in this film. And I quite enjoyed this film. I wasn't entirely sure that I was going into it because I knew this was going to be a slacker film and I'm not really a huge fan of slacker films. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, I think, too, when we talk about how this film is significant. But... I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to like it. And I had a really fun time with the comedy in here as well. This is also a film that has Julianne Moore in it, which, as some of you probably don't know, but Julianne Moore is my favorite actress. So this was one of the films, too, that I was deficient on in her filmography. So I was glad to see her in this. But I thought that most of the performances were pretty well done. I think the crime story itself had some pitfalls for me, but I also don't think that that was the main focus of this film personally so i i liked it i enjoyed it what about you guys uh did you go ahead and rewatch the the movie for this episode or you saw it so many times you're like i'm I'm good i got it i probably could have gotten away with not watching it again but i absolutely did watch it again <laughs> i felt like it was just an excuse to do so <laughs> that that is a great excuse and what did you think about it this time watching it and the times in the past i think it's it's one of those movies where you could cut out like 75% of the movie and it would not affect the story at all, mm. but you're glad that it's all there because from beginning to end, every unnecessary conversation is just full of great comedy. Yeah, I think the dude has about as much plot relevancy as Indiana Jones does in his movies. <laughs> it's it's The movie in general is less about the story 
and yeah. more about the dude's reaction to the story. Yes, definitely. Lack of reaction in some parts. <laughs> yes. Also, great dialogue. Great dialogue mm-hmm. writing in this film. Oh, yeah. It's, it, it is great. We'll talk about that as well. What about you, Baron? Uh, I didn't I didn't rewatch it. I, I feel like I got everything I needed to the last time I watched it. Um I uh I am one of the odd ones out. I am not a fan. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the movie. Um I will admit that it is beautiful. It is beautiful, it is star studded, but the story for me was seriously lacking with a bunch of unlikable characters. And I have a huge problem with unlikable characters. Like, I don't like Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I don't Uh, like Trailer Park Boys. I don't like all of that stuff where, you know, people are like, oh, it's funny because they're horrible people. And it's like, okay. (laughs) But I'm not saying that these characters are horrible people, but they're not very likable either. Like, why did they hang out with Walter? Why? Why? Yeah, I could not stand Walter. I would say that was a downfall for me because I just got too irritated with him. <laughs> yeah, and I've I've mentioned I have that that problem as well many times on the podcast when it comes to unlikable characters. I just I, I can't stand it sometimes. And yet, interesting you brought up always always sunny in Philadelphia. I've actually been watching a lot of clips from them recently, just some reels, uh, and you know it makes me laugh. But when I try to watch the show like back to back on episodes. I can only go on for so long before I'm tired of them <laughs> because it gets to the part that like, you know, with unlikable characters that it just, there's no sense of reality to it. And it doesn't make sense. Like why that person like exists or is still being invited in certain situations. Right. Yeah. And, and Walter is definitely one of them. Walter, the, I don't know why the dude, brings them along in in two scenes especially the second scene because after after what happens with the first time i don't understand why he brings them the second time yeah and it does get to the point where i mean i guess i will give the like the movie some movie some credit because he does get to the point where he's like walter i'm done but i feel like you guys been friends for lo- so long you shouldn't have brought him in the first place mm-hmm. the only kind of saving grace for me is one john goodman makes me crack up like John John Goodman's a national treasure. I will. I yeah. I will agree with that. Yeah, I, I love John Goodman. I think he's a he's a fantastic actor, and I think he does some of his best work with the Coen Brothers. And he's he, he he makes me crack up. There's so many good scenes from him in this that are hilarious. Uh, but again, it's like why why is he why is he here unless just for the audience? But there is a moment at the end where I did understand a little bit more why they keep him around. Uh, so I did, I did appreciate that. He, he didn't really, he didn't bother me too much, mm-hmm. but I, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say that everybody is, is so unlikable that, you know, the movie also tries to make you sort of follow aside from Walter. And I, I enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed this movie very much. The first time, I don't know. I feel like I didn't enjoy it as much. And I think I had the same problems that you did, Baron, where, especially when it comes to the story. I, at first I thought that, rewatching, I thought that my problem was that I didn't understand the story at first. But, I mean, it's a pretty easy story, I think. Or maybe it was just because of my past knowledge of watching it before. But I think my, kind of my first impression with the story is just, especially when you find out that none of it really matters, you know. Um, or at least, like, as far as how the story is being told. 
I, I just I wasn't with it. But watching it this time and more of just enjoying it for what it is and enjoying it more as a straight comedy. I think that was my other issue. I went in with the expectation of a noir film like Fargo. And that is not what this is. While Fargo is a dark comedy, this is a comedy. This is a primary and secondary comedy and like a tertiary uh, dramatic film or mystery film. But I, I was cracking up during this whole film. I can't lie. Like so many parts had me laughing. There's just so much randomness uh, that occurs. Like just from just from the dialogue, like you said, I think is funny and creative to there's some slapstick in this. There's a mug that is thrown that had me cracking up for like a minute straight. Uh, Caitlin, you brought up the dialogue. I think this movie is, I'm surprised this movie didn't get more appreciation for a screenplay. I think not only is the dialogue good, but there's a certain rhythm to it. Yeah. And it makes the do stand out as, as well because his rhythm of, of conversation is out of sync with everything. And if you look at uh, other screenwriters and directors like Adam McKay and Wes Anderson, everybody is talking on the same, on the same track, on the same beats per minute. And that's good. It stands out. It's, you know, they got their signature, but here it stands out because the dude, like with this whole story, he's, he's out of sync. He, he doesn't fit in. And I think that's, you know, I think that's an achievement in itself and it makes this, you know, a, a, a screenplay to look and examine more at. I think a lot of his film reminded me of a Shane Black film. I was hey. thinking about the nice guys uh, when I was doing my research. I was like, wasn't nice guys inspired by this? Because I, I definitely saw that, especially with Ryan Gosling's character. He's like a instead of like a stoner, the dude. He was like an alcoholic, the dude. Yeah, like both that and a uh, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Is that that one? Yeah, yeah. But it kind of gave me that because it is this crime story, but that's not all it has going for it. Um, and like I said, I think this is more of a slacker film than a crime film, but I think it does it in a very well way. For me, Donnie was my favorite character in this film. Uh, Steve Buscemi. I like really like Steve Buscemi. Um, yeah. But kind of a character that's kind of is one out of, of a character element. that's more likable. Yeah, he's out of his element. You kind of feel bad for him because of how Walter's treating him. So I do definitely think I gravitated more towards that likable character in the film. But yeah, I, I really like this. I really like the dialogue, what you said. And I think that this was a well shot film. Although there is one shot that's looking out of a bowling ball that made me dizzy when I was watching it. So I had to look away. <laughs> <laughs> I, I meant to look up to see how they did that shot because it didn't look like complete CGI. No, but Roger Deakins was the cinematographer on this film. Oh, he was. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's that's something I was thinking about while watching this film. I was like, man, this isn't a film like you would, you know, expect the cinematography to be so good because mm. it's like not a lot of moments calling for. It. Like this movie made me want to go bowling just because of the cinematography. <laughs> it did make me want to bowl. It did make me want to bowl. <laughs> I, I will. I will agree with that as well. It'll do that for to sure. You. Yes. Maybe, maybe that's why I didn't want to watch it because I just wasn't. I didn't want to go bowling right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so that makes sense. You know, it's, it's Roger Deakins, and that also goes to show you, like, I'm not, I'm not like automatically gravitated towards Roger Deakins just because he's Roger Deakins. Like, there's movies I find out like, oh, I love that cinematography before I even knew that he was involved. Mm-hmm. So we're all going bowling after this. Just yeah. Yeah, totally. mm-hmm. yep. Let's see if we can get Roger Deakins to create our stories for it. Uh Rick, you mentioned the the cast in this. Yeah, I think the cast is is great. I think the Coen brothers are one of those that they're one of those directors that you know they they pull the best out of people. 
And what I like about them compared to other directors that get an ensemble cast is that they're not they're not having the actors like act to their signature directing or to their their style. The the characters they they feel different and they feel unique. Like when Wes Anderson when he gets his ensemble cast, everybody's acting like they're in a Wes Anderson movie. Just the way it is. Uh, but the Coen Brothers, I feel like they're just kind of they're pulling the the best out of out of individuals because I think everybody's good here for what they have from the smallest roles to the largest roles of the dude. Uh, you mentioned you like Donnie and Caitlin, and I think that's something that you know they that was achieved by by their direction and their writing. They can do something mm-hmm. that small with the character and make you make you fall in love with them. But what did you guys think about the the cast here? So I do want to say it, it was Baron who brought up the cast originally. So I got to throw the oh, oh my bad, I sorry. Was fine. I was fine. Um, but um, it, it's like you said. There's they use the they make the most out of each individual actor that they have, and kind of like I was saying earlier, where you could cut out seventy five percent of this movie, their entire characters you could cut out of this movie, and it doesn't affect the story, and everything they say doesn't have anything to do with the story and yet i love that they're there and i and the performance is the reason why i mean honestly it's more than the dialogue because if you took the dialogue and just read it it's not that funny it's not that endearing but the spin that they put on it and the performance they give to it is what really brings it to life and makes it worth it being there i think everyone's kind of larger than life everyone's just a little bit absurd in their characterizations, and I think that goes that's, a long way too. That's fair. That's fair. Aside from Donnie, Donnie feels like the like the actual normal one here, <laughs> which is why he's out of his element. Yeah, it mm-hmm. could be. It, he could just be there for the audience to relate to. Yes. Yeah, like maybe they maybe they knew that these characters were going to be so larger than life that they're like, we need we need some kind of anchor to reality. We need, yeah. you know what I mean? We we need people to be like, oh, that's me. That's me right there. Which makes so much sense because the the really defining characteristic for Donnie is he has no idea what anybody's talking about. Yeah. And for a lot of people, the first time they watch the movie, that's right where they're at. Is yep. what the hell are these people talking about? So, yeah, the fact that uh, the theory of him being an audience stand in, I, I love that. Yeah, that is really good, actually. Oh, you guys didn't gravitate towards Sam Elliott? That wasn't your avatar? Oh, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> he was probably the best part of the whole movie for me. Really? He was great. Like, I forgot like about seri- him. Yeah, it, it's it's almost because it's all it's like, you know. Again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. Wasn't a huge fan of the movie, but it was like he came in and like smoothed everything out almost. Mm. You know, it made it more. It made it a little more sweet. Like it, it, he's the coffee and cream that you put in a cup of black coffee. So I was. And I don't have a crush on Sam Elliott. That's not what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but he uh, he is he's definitely I think it was because he was unexpected, too. Mm-hmm. I think that's another thing, because he like, comes out of nowhere, even though you kind of hear him talking. But but you know what I mean? Yeah. I wasn't yeah, expecting he, to see him in the movie. He does have that beginning intro, yeah. which which is funny because it, it really it's the best characterization for the movie it really sets the tone for the whole movie when you have sam elliott in the beginning giving that voiceover because even he loses track of what he's talking about during that voiceover yeah Mm -hmm. and it's a perfect tone set for the rest of the film he doesn't just lose track there there was another scene that had me laugh and just like some visual humor where 
he get he gets up from the bar and he goes one way. He takes like one step in one direction, realizes it's not the direction he wants to go into or not supposed to go, and then just turns around and goes the other way. And it's just that like that one little misstep. But for me, he felt less like the coffee and sugar and more like the the waiter coming in and checking up on you, like the friendly waiter, because he is the narrator of this. And, you know, mm-hmm. we he has a very distinctive voice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, no shame in falling in love with him. His his voice and mustache, you know, they are very alluring. But he just all of a sudden now the narrator's in the story, like halfway mm-hmm. through. Right. And I, I think that's a. You know, I think that's a interesting, you know, that can be looked at as far as the story writing for this. That's something that can be examined as why did they have the narrator show up at all and at this point? Yeah. Why do you think that? What do you think of the role of the narrator in, in this story and what it served? I think Sam Elliott was just on set that day and he just walked over and started <laughs> yeah. talking to the guy and they just kept filming. Man. I'm not going to lie. I was about to say something very <laughs> similar to that. Very similar. Because, it, it, yeah, because it doesn't like he's he's another one of those. If he wasn't there, nothing, there would be no big change to the story, except for it, it's it's he really again, he really is almost like how you have a really serious movie and then you have to have some comedy relief in there somewhere. It's like this movie is so absurd and all over the place. That he just kind of, again, I use the word, anchors it down mm-hmm. just for a little bit. So you have time to breathe and then it just rolls on. Yeah, I, I can see that. And it also, it feels like a French new wave tactic to me as well. Yeah, because that's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, it, it it breaks up the, the story. Like it takes you out of the movie for a second because you're like, oh, yeah, we're like, I am watching a movie. And I, th- I think that's what it could be for, too, because I think you can get wrapped up in too much of trying to follow this story. And maybe you're trying to think a little bit too far ahead. And he, yeah, he kind of reels you in. And then there's just I think, you no, know, like there's other small roles like uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is one of my uh, favorite actors of all time. And also, you mentioned uh, Julianne Moore, who is my favorite actress as well. Uh, they have since when that's new. That's news to me. <laughs> No, she's always been. I think the IMDb you list. You have never I, mentioned that before. <laughs> oh my! We've talked about this so many times. Lies. I'm pretty uh, sure the list that I haven't edited in like ten years on my IMDb still has her as number one. <laughs> oh, we we definitely talked about this. Now I gotta find right, fans. Fans of Operation Silver Screen, get on social media, settle this argument, get in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> Brian's been there since day one, Caitlin. Mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> Mm, says the person who didn't see this movie. I'm not trying to gatekeep Julian Moore. That's fine with me. <laughs> also, um, one thing I want to mention about the the dialogue before we move too far from it is uh, one interesting thing with this is that everything was scripted. There's only one line that is improvised in this, and everything, which you would think there'd be more improvisation when it comes to like saying dude and man. Like you would think they would just tell Jeff Bridges, like, hey man, just make sure you say man and dude. Every so often, no. Every every man and dude is in this is in this uh, script here. I want to mention pacing real quick, just because like this film was a little slow for me uh, at the beginning, but then it does pick up pretty quickly. I think the first time it really picked up for me was when they were having the conversation about pacifism. Pacifism. That's a really hard word to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pacifism. Pacifism. I'm glad I'm not the only one struggling today. <laughs> I know, I'm struggling today. Are, are we talking about pacifism? 
Yes. <laughs> but that conversation is one where it is very snappy. It's very, uh, that conversation, the pace in that conversation was very quick. And then especially later when they go to make that ransom, I think that really like brought up the pacing for me in this film and I really did get really engaged with it. It's just I think that beginning was a little bit slower, but like I said, I think that you can see elements of different pacing throughout the film. That's another one of those things where you're talking about like those of us who had seen the movie before and went back and watched it again for this. After you've seen it and you know that it's going to ramp up like that, Mm -hmm. uh, the anticipation makes the beginning of the movie much more palatable. Gotcha. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, watching this a second time, I, I don't think there was any any down period, or at least not any, like, um, abrupt down period in here that felt off. It is a well-paced movie. Anything else, guys? I, w- I would say that I probably have some very controversial opinions about, about the movie, and uh, in the spirit of being a contrarian and uh, boosting, boosting the listens uh, on, on this, I would say... That barring those people that have a genuine affection for this movie, I think most of the most of the positive reviews, most of the people who rave and rant about this movie are probably just people who don't get it. And they're afraid of telling people that they don't like it because of the very, very loud uh, fan base that the Big Lebowski has. I think that's fair. Oh, I could definitely see that and i think i was like kind of prepared to come on the show and be like that before <laughs> before i like actually started once it started going because at first like i said at first when i watched it i didn't really i was like all right it wasn't anything too special there were some lines that like there were some things that i still appreciated like there were still lines that i would quote and you know i, I did like laugh during the film but overall i didn't really see what was so great about this film but i think not going into it a second time and not having like real expectations from it and enjoying for what it was. I I did enjoy it more. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's just like any other stoner movie, you know, it's any other slacker movie. It's, it's good. I mean, you could sit down, watch it. I think, I can't remember which one of y'all said it, but it's like one of those, don't put a lot of thought into it. Just sit back, watch it. You know what? Maybe be high when you watch it. And you're going to have a good time. But I really think that this was written for people who would get high and watch a movie. Which, you know, I'm not a huge fan of. I think I saw like one article online that kind of compared it to a college movie that you would watch like Animal House or Scarface, which is two films that I did watch in college. Um, But I think two movies are completely different from each other, too. Mm -hmm. But I feel like have the same fan base. Yeah, like, yeah, they have the same fan base. And I think knowing Mm -hmm. that kind of fan base, I can understand why you would think that a some big Lebowski fans too because that's a fan base that I'm not really connected with either Yeah, and are very like, loud I, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll even compare it to another movie uh, I'm, I feel like I'm about to throw Rick under the bus <laughs> <clears throat> but another movie that is just like it that has like these people that rant and rave how good it is and they watch it you know every year maybe five times a year every time a friend comes over they'll make them watch it if they haven't seen it they'll make them watch it twice Boondock Saints. I've heard oh, so yeah. much about Boondock mm-hmm. Saints and 
I was going to watch it, and then I actually looked it up and like saw like the actual like uh, reviews and critics because I was hearing about it from from other people. Actually, I think the one that told me to watch it uh, was somebody who would get high and watch movies, which led to me watching one of the worst movies of my life. So <laughs> after that, like anything he told me, especially when he told me that he watched the high, or, or, well, he didn't really have to, but I would look it up. I'm like, hold up, let me let me see, because you know I'm not. You know, that's not the way that I'm, I'm watching movies and I don't trust people that I know those yeah. so, those sort of people. At first, I thought you were going to say Pineapple Express, but I don't think anybody's oh, well, watching that like five a, times a year. Yeah. Now, I, I will say this. Watch Boondock Saints. Enjoy it. Don't just don't expect much. Well, I mean, for me, just like Big Lebowski, just like Boond, uh, Boondock Saints, Big Lebowski. I was essentially forced to watch that every time I went over to a friend's house. Oh, Oof. So it's like I got to see it over and over and over and over again. It's like, wow, I'm really picking this movie apart. Gotcha. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a good movie. But, you know, maybe watch it once. Because if you watch it more than once, you're going to be like, oh, oh, why did I think this was a good movie? Why was why is everybody ranting and raving about this movie? It's good. Well, also, watch it twice. So uh, Now, three times? I don't know. I'm kind of scared now to watch it a third time. Maybe a third time. I like. I'll just hate it. Maybe watch it twice. Wait next year. Wait till next year. Watch it again. Yeah, don't watch it back to back. Like right. give it. Like let everything exit your mind where you kind of vaguely remember this movie, but you remember your opinions of it. <laughs> and then watch it again. See what happens. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> or watch it once. Wait twelve years and then watch it out of nostalgia. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> and I'll, I'll be honest yeah you did call me out a little bit and but you're absolutely 100 percent right because yeah we've we've talked about this when yeah when i was in high school i was super into boondock saints um i was one of those those kids <laughs> who like super loved it and if i were to go back and watch it again today i think i would still stand by the action scenes in that movie like it's really good action scenes but the movie does not have a ton of substance and while it is a good movie it definitely doesn't in my opinion deserve the the praises that it gets um but yeah i could i could see why you'd put these in the same camp yeah i remember liking it but i don't remember anything about the film at all see you're in the perfect spot to keep enjoying that I'm trying to remember a movie that I would say don't watch a second time. Just if you liked it the first time, don't. Uh, Freddy got fingered. Don't watch it a second time. Don't watch it a first time. What? That's fair. Everybody knows that. That's fair. I can't. I can't go back in time though. I. I have to own that. I can't go back in time. That's like a drug commercial. Not even once. Oh my god. I, I was there. I was there with uh, my significant other at the time. Um, we sat through the whole thing. And we walked outside, and I was like, man, I really wanted to leave halfway through that movie. And she was like, I wanted to leave halfway through that movie. I was like, <laughs> we sat through that whole thing for nothing? <laughs> we could have left? That was an option? Uh, Sausage Party, I'll say, is one. Don't watch a second time. I remember cracking up the first time in the theaters. So watching it the second time, I was like, this is this is awful and oof, disgusting. Yeah. 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 I, I haven't gotten to watch it. Maybe I won't. But... <laughs> I feel like the way you feel about this movie, Baron, is the way I feel about Step Brothers. Okay. No, no, no. No, that's that's legit, too. Because yeah. yeah. it's a completely different... Each of these have been a completely different kind of movie, but they all fall into the same... We have some really, really, really passionate people about this movie. 
<laughs> like, I liked Step Brothers, but trust me, I'm going to give it... It's going to breathe in between viewings. <laughs> yeah. These are all movies just like certain shows and animes where, like, it can be ruined by the fandom. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And regardless of what any of our opinions are, we kind of already mentioned a little bit about its influence to the point oh. where... It has influenced religion. This is an influential film. Yes. And it sounds like you're about to say something there. No, no, no. I'm I'm, I'm backing you up. I was your hype man on that one. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> well, well, we all know. Well, I, actually, I'm making an assumption here to say we all know. But I know it definitely uh, influenced John Turturro quite a bit. Yep. Yep. For anyone He's who dead. doesn't know, uh, The Big Lebowski has an unofficial sequel called The Jesus Rolls. Um, Have you seen it? I, I watched it like, af- okay, so I watched The Big Lebowski again for this podcast and then immediately afterwards for the first time watched The Jesus Rolls just to see how bad it was. And man, that's, you were talking about movies where not even once. That's that's <laughs> a movie that falls into that category. A lot, a lot of people said that. I saw the, the box office results compared to the budget for this movie. This movie made that movie made less than seventy thousand dollars at least domestically, and it was a four four point five million dollar budget. Oof, oof, mm. oof, oof. Yikes! Yeah. Is that why we haven't seen John Turturro for a while? Yeah, he uh, probably. I yeah, mean, he filled out some tax forms and then then left the country for a bit. He's working some side jobs to try to make up for it. Oh, he's in the Batman, wasn't he? Don't. Don't was he? Don't so. take my theory and throw it in the trash. Like that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> don't bring it into the light, Caitlin. Don't bring it to the light. I mean, it's, it's one of those like- movies where the entire times I was watching it, I was sitting there going, "Who is this movie for?" Wait, and- I'm talking about the Batman. <laughs> no, the Jesus <laughs> rolls. <laughs> I'm like sitting there, saying, "Who is this movie for?" And the only answer to that question is John Turturro. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That's what 100%. it seemed like. <laughs> That's John Turturro is Italian, not Hispanic, by the way. <laughs> playing Jesus. Who? Well, he's playing Jesus. He says his name is Jesus. Oh. The uh, Jesus yeah, and and in the, the movie, in yeah. the Jesus roles, you meet the Jesus's mother, who also calls him Jesus. Like it's not one of those <laughs> things where he was named Jesus and then rolled with the Jesus thing. Mm-hmm. No. That's his name, Jesus. But again, talking about despicable characters, was the eight-year-old in that movie? Yes. Oh, no! Oh, I said that that off the cuff. I didn't want you to say yes. Yeah, uh, now... I mean, okay, okay. I know we're not in the spoiler section. I don't think anybody cares if I spoil the Jesus roles. I don't know. They play it off as a misunderstanding. They they played the incident off the, like where he got arrested for exposing himself to an eight year old as a misunderstanding where they just both happened to be standing at a urinal mm-hmm. and having a conversation and then another adult walked in and took it the wrong way. I was um, as soon as you said a misunderstanding, I was like, this the only way that this could happen is if one of them or if like John Totoro was peeing, I say John Totoro, the Jesus was peeing <laughs> and there was a misunderstanding somewhere. Yep. Wow. Ugh. Okay. Which it's still okay. an icky scene, just to be honest. Like, like they try to play it off. It doesn't make it that much better. The Jesus, the Jesus is just icky. Wait, yes. so that's like a scene in the the other one movie. What's it called again? 
the Jesus the big, rolls. Well, in yeah. the Big Lebowski, in the Big Lebowski, it it, it is ref. It, they even say that the, he yeah. uh, exposed himself to an eight year old. Yeah, yeah. Like, but okay. it's just it's just referenced in the Big Lebowski, whereas they actually show the scene in oh. the Jesus rolls. Hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, that's something honestly I would have forgot about if I did watch Jesus rolls. So yeah. I don't know if you really needed to bring it back up, but at the same time, yeah, if you watch the Big Lebowski afterwards, it's like. Wait a minute, hold up. That whole film was about a pedophile. And mm-hmm. yeah, you, you, yeah, you is, have to I do feel something like why about they, that. I feel like they had, they felt, John felt like he had to address it. Gotcha. If he, he fell in love with his character. He mm-hmm. wanted to make a movie about this character. So he was like, I have to address this negative thing gotcha. about I mean, this character. 100%. He had to. He had to. He couldn't just mm-hmm. let that lie. There's no way. Yeah. But you know what he didn't have to? Make this movie. Which he wrote and direct. Yeah. Sure. That Coen Brothers should have just kept saying no. Because, like, he wanted to immediately make it, like, after The Big Lebowski. But the Coen Brothers just kept going, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't have the character. You can't go make this movie. And eventually he wore them down. And they were like, fine, go make your movie. (laughs) And they should have just kept saying no. Like, even of the, like, less important side characters in The Big Lebowski, like, he just was there. I don't know. He wasn't mm-hmm. enough for mm-hmm. me to need a spinoff at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's entirely just for John Turturro. <laughs> he must have had, like, when he auditioned for this role and when he was playing this role, he must have been in his trailer just coming up with scenes and, like, was pitching them to the Coen brothers. And he must have got really into this role and he had all this extra material and wanted to do something with it. I think that's exactly what happened, actually, I was reading, because I think that... Oh. <laughs> there was even less of him originally, but then he they were like, you can add stuff to it if you want. And he was like, okay. <laughs> so I think he did add stuff to try and make his character more than what it was. He must have kept showing up at their house, like their private residence, <laughs> dressed up as the Jesus. He was just really into the character. Like he yep. loved that character, which I think even, even I was talking about, you know, Lebowski conventions and things like that. The Jesus was a pretty popular character at those conventions. Like people would cosplay as the Jesus and make references to the Jesus because while he's not in the movie a lot, he does make a big impact for the short amount of time that he's in the movie. And then this movie came out, the Jesus rolls. And based off of what I've looked up, like the entire fan base of that character just completely dropped off at Lebowski Fest's. Because oh, of the movie. wow. Mm-hmm. Now, the conventions you're talking about, is that Lebowski Fest or is that something different? Uh, Lebowski Fest is an example of one of the conventions. Okay, yeah. all right. Because I know that that's like an annual festival that started in Kentucky where they have like unlimited bowling and trivia and costumes and all that. But I didn't know if that was, there was more on top of that with the conventions. So it started with Lebowski Fest and then people who were nowhere close to where Lebowski Fest was happening were like, okay. I want to do that too. And then they just started cropping up and they started as, you know, smaller get togethers that grew like a lot of conventions that are popular nowadays Mm -hmm. started with just like a handful of friends who were like, let's meet up and do a thing. So and then just they invite more and more people until it becomes like a whole event. Gotcha. Nice. Yeah. I wonder if this started uh, one of the influences that it has is that influence uh, people to have like weekly showings of this movie at theaters. And there was a woman who she was actually talking to the Coen brothers, not knowing that they had made the film or that they were even Coen brothers. 
And she's telling them, like, because they were like, well, what's going on here? She's like, oh, we do this, you know, frequent screening of The Big Lebowski. Everybody comes and they dress up, you know, it's another movie party. And they're like, you guys should come sometime. Uh, Caitlin, what did you find in your research as far as influence? Um, so there are two species of spiders that are named after uh, the dude and the movie in general. I, I'm going to be very bad at this pronunciation, but the genus is Analosismus. Ugh. And then the species is Big Lebowski and dude. <laughs> I feel like the first name was created and then another guy got the chance to name his. He's like, I, I'm not even trying to follow that up. Yeah, I, I don't like spiders. So I wasn't going to look up to see what these look like. But if it's not I was about wearing, to say the same thing. I was like, I'll take word like for it. wearing the, the sweater, <laughs> then I don't, I don't believe it. I can't see it. The glasses, the sweater. That's what it needs. But also we mentioned films like The Nice Guys that were probably inspired by this film. The Star Wars movie Solo was actually, um, the director has mentioned that The Big Lebowski was an influence on that just because of its more off-kilter tone is what he said. I I don't remember Solo have a very off-kilter tone to it, but I don't remember Solo very well, but also just the crime elements as well. And then another thing that I thought of as an influence, if you, for uh, anime fans, if you watch Chainsaw Man, Chainsaw Man's one of the popular animes right now, there is, they have in their opening sequence, at least for the first season, was a reference to a whole bunch of different movies, and The Big Lebowski was one of them that they had a visual reference to. Yeah, I remember that now. And let's not forget The Avengers. We're not elaborating? Oh, um... Oh, Thor. Well, like, yeah, Thor, Thor's dude, Thor kind of look is obviously inspired by the dude. And mm. even uh, Tony Stark calls him Lebowski yeah. in the movie. <laughs> I completely forgot about that before. But as soon as you said Avengers, it's like, oh, yeah, he was just like him. <laughs> that version of Thor is actually one of the cosplays I do pretty regularly now. Nice. Oh, nice. So this was also inspiration for... One of my favorite series that I've watched this year, uh, as of right now, it's my second favorite uh, series that I watched this year, Mrs. Davis. Uh, Caitlin, I know you still haven't finished the episode. Um, you're, luckily, you're lucky we already spent some time on this episode, and I can't grill you for that. But you've seen four episodes. You remember the the pseudo-Germans in that, in Mrs. Davis? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I was thinking yeah. that. So okay, I did some yeah. research and found out that Damon Lindelof, he spoke of Coen Brothers and he mentioned this mo- movie and No Country for Old Men. And yeah, sort of, uh, you know, he kind of wanted, he didn't want to like completely reference those movies. He didn't want to, because he, he thinks that no one can really remake a Coen Brothers film, but especially those films. But he did take some inspiration from it. And kind of the whole protagonist that you don't expect in Mrs. Davis, the protagonist is a nun. And she just ends up in some crazy situations, much like the Big Lebowski and I think kind of the story plays out in similar ways. And she, uh, in the first episode, episode, she gets kidnapped by some very cliche pseudo-Germans. This uh, has been parried quite a few times. Uh, first thing I recognized when I did the research for it is that one of Family Guy's funniest jokes and well-known jokes is a parody of this. The, when Stewie is beating up Brian, wondering where his money is at. Uh, he's, he starts off the fight first hitting him with a, a glass of OJ, which is a hilarious setup. And then he puts his head in the toilet and he starts slamming down and asking him, where's his money at? And that's a big Lebowski reference. 
which he took that like a champ. Like I would be furious <laughs> if somebody was shoving my head in a toilet. No, no matter how clean the toilet is, it, I could have cleaned it like an hour ago. Now that that's still no, like, but he was just like oh, whatever. I like the joke that he makes too in the middle of it. Cause they're like, "Where's my money?" He's like, "I don't know. Let me have another look." <laughs> it's down there somewhere. Yeah. Like he was confident in how either, well, most likely he just didn't care, but he was confident how clean his toilet was. It was not clean. It was milky. <laughs> well, it was milky because the milk fell in there because yeah, he guess, got yeah. tackled. Yeah. But that's what he got for opening up the milk before he even got to the house. Like he was, he was drinking it at the store. And also you got milk there. So that could be some symbolism to his adolescent nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, or just about, the fact you, that he really was into white Russians. Yeah. yeah, he was really into white Russians. The drink. As far as his type, I don't... <laughs> wait, was Julianne... Julianne Moore kind of seemed like a, a, a Russian type, maybe? And she was white. The, the red hair screams... Uh, the red hair screams Irish. Yeah. Not <laughs> uh, true. Well, it looked kind of like a wig. Uh, what they had it done. Oh, no, she had black hair in the... Uh, yeah, she. I guess, yeah, that... Black, the the wig it probably was a wig with that hair in the movie it probably yeah she did sc- kind of scream Russian where's the name Lebowski come from there's your that's Polish right one might assume didn't she marry into the name no not uh, Julianne no, Moore not Maud that w- wait oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah hold on yeah Maud yeah, married right. into the the name yeah Polish name what no because that's her dad yeah oh wait no okay no, oh, her dad is Lebowski. Oh, oh my god! But her wait, her <laughs> yeah, first name is Maud. Oh, this is so confusing. <laughs> yeah, no, she's legit. She's oh. a legit Lebowski. Yeah, but, she's a legit Lebowski. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, we're good. We're back. Are we? I don't know where we're back to. I, I don't know either. <laughs> you guys have anything to add to the influence? I mean, besides besides like what uh, everybody's already said, you know, Rick bringing up the uh, the the Marvel influence. It's it's. I think that again, uh, building on what Rick has already said, it, it, the the biggest influence it's had is on essentially culture, society. It's you know spawned a religion. It's uh, it it is affected how people behave, even. So it it is affected. It is affected behavior, mindsets, philosophies. It's really just kind of branched out. Well, you know, I may not, I may not like the movie, but I can't deny its influence, mm-hmm. and for the most part, seems to be a positive influence. So, I'm not, I'm not against that. Yeah, you can absolutely tell that there are people who have turned their entire personality into the dude abides. Um, and you can choose whether to cut this part or not. But I actually posted a screenshot of my ordination in your Discord. <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, nice. That's what came through. Uh, this is a significant movie as well. We mentioned many of times the dude. That is just iconic character. Jeff Bridges, who he um he's he's a person that he doesn't have many roles. He's known as, you know, one of the best actors out there. Or, you know, he's a very prolific act or a lot of people know Jeff Bridges. But looking up his filmography, he doesn't have a lot there. And kind of similar to Daniel Day Lewis, who really chooses their roles. But this is an interesting role for him to choose with that because you know Daniel Day Lewis he takes on a lot of like very serious and dramatic roles that really just call for that that thespian performance and this is the dude 
uh, and an interviewer asked him, like, hey, if this is a movie, if you're only remembered for this movie, how would you feel? And he said, I'll feel great if this was the only role that I was remembered for. For the longest time, I got uh, Jeff Bridges and Kurt Russell confused. Oh, I can, I mean, at a certain point, I can definitely see that. Now I know the difference, but for the longest time. <laughs> I feel like we've discussed that before. I don't remember when or where, but I feel like we've had that discussion. <laughs> I will do you one worse. I would always get Jeff Bridges and, and I can't remember his name, but the one dude from Dumb and Dumber. Yes, that's, always get that's the one for me. Guys. Also, Jeff Bridges and that guy from Tron. <laughs> Did that Kurt Russell, right? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 oh well done well done <laughs> uh, oh gosh <laughs> i think it just kind of go back of something you said jeff uh, where daniel day lewis picking these like super dramatic roles i think jeff bridges is more selective about choosing his roles with choosing people he wants to work with yes yeah that's true he absolutely can do that too Mm-hmm. Like that's what he ba- he do- I, I'd be willing to bet he doesn't even read about the character. He wants to know who's attached to the picture, and then goes, "Yeah, I want to work with those people. I'll do it." Mm-hmm. Which I think that's totally fair too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure there was a point too where he was like, "Look, if I can have my beard in it, I'll do it." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to see him. In a very early role without the beard, uh, The Last Picture Show is a really good movie. And I think that may be his debut film. You, you know what? The, the One of the big ones for me, only because it was like from my childhood, was uh, Starman. I, I've seen, I watched Starman last year for the first time. Yeah. yeah. It's weird that it's a John Carpenter movie. Oh, I, oh no. I, can, I feel like I can say that about a lot of John Carpenter films. Yes. <laughs> yes, you could. Like, this weird that this is his movie. No, wait, no. Some parts of it check out. But yeah, I think Starman may be the odd, not the not the oddest as in like the oddest movie, but just the, the oddest in his filmography compared yeah. to the others. No, no, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Talking about people, you know, loving the role of this. John Goodman, this is his favorite film that he has done. And this is one of the uh, best, uh, one of the best roles that he has done as well that he, he thinks. And he has gone on to do other films with the Coen brothers as well. Which the Coen Brothers, you know, again with with picking their cast, they don't really have too many re uh, reoccurring characters, and I don't know. I feel like you know when they do, it's not. I don't feel like they're so so much forced in, like kind of Samuel Jackson and Quentin Tarantino. You have uh, Wes Anderson. You know, he's always going to have Bill Murray in there. You know, where it feels like they kind of made a role for that character, like Tarantino. It feels like he makes a role for Samuel Jackson to be in the movie. Yeah. Caitlin, you mentioned that this is a slacker film. I would say it's a stoner film, but I think the only difference between a slacker film and a stoner film is marijuana. Is that? <laughs> well, I think stoner film is is a slacker film. Uh, well, you I can mean, be a slacker without being a stoner. Yeah, so I think stoner films is a subgenre within slacker. Well, we're in a square rectangle situation. Yeah. Okay. Every yeah. square is a rectangle, but not every rectangle is a square. Well, yeah. like, for example, Dude, Where's My Car? It's a slacker movie, but only because they weren't allowed to put weed in it. Because yeah. Because then it would be a stoner movie. Which is weird, because those guys act more, like, stereotypical. Like, they act like the stoners that you see on PSAs. 
I feel like from what from what I've seen. That's why that movie didn't make sense. <laughs> it's because they took out the <laughs> the influence of they that now they just seem like they're stupid. Is what it is. But I don't know. I feel like that's more accurate for them to be acting like that. They're just stupid. They don't marijuana. Because I feel like when I see people on marijuana, they're not that dumb. <laughs> well. Uh, I, oh, no, I guess I just had a bit. No, no, stereotypically. The, the, to be fair, to be fair, the people I know who are stupid on on marijuana are um are stupid before. So I, <laughs> yeah. think, we're, I think we're fine. But the marijuana wasn't necessary. Just, right. Yeah. And just for those who may not know, soccer films were a big genre in the 90s that featured characters that were often inspired by grunge rock and had no real ambitions. And Richard Linklater's Slacker from 1990 was like really the quintessential, I think, slacker movie. But you also have Bill and Ted, uh, Wayne's World, Empire Records, which I tried to watch and I couldn't finish it. Um Dazed and Confused, Clerks, uh, Kicking and Screaming, also couldn't finish it. Yeah, so it's not a genre that I'm particularly a fan of, like, going through a list of different slacker movies, but it definitely was a big genre, especially in the 90s. I think, I think especially what you're saying were stoner movies, I think stoner movies may have kind of gone from that, and I think they are a little bit more modern. Like, I feel like stoner movies are more, like, slacker movies that we have nowadays and in the 2000s might be a little bit more sooner movies. Yeah. I could, I could see the separation. Yeah. Especially with the big Lebowski, because that is based off of one particular slacker who actually existed in mm. real life. So, I mean, if you're trying to classify a slacker film in that way, yeah, absolutely. Do you want to go a little bit more into what you mean by the real life slacker? Oh, yeah. So there's a guy named Jeff Dowd, um, who was a member of the Seattle Seven um, and was really into white Russians and was known as the dude. And um, I would recommend to your listeners, if you don't know what I'm saying when I say the Seattle Seven, is go ahead and do a nice little Google search all on your own rather than have me explain it to you. Um, But yeah, basically, I think at one point in time, Someone introduced him to the Coen brothers, and at least that's what I think the lore of it is. And the Coen brothers liked him enough as a person, they decided to make a character and put him in a neo-noir. Gotcha. I'm glad you mentioned neo-noir, because that's another reason that this movie is significant, is because it's a anti-neo-noir, or at least the protagonist is an anti-protagonist to neo-noir films. You know, we, we talked about quite a few neo, neo-noir films this year, Caitlin. Mm-hmm. We talked about Blade Runner. Uh, what's the one with Sydney? Blue Velvet. Um, well, Blue Velvet, Miami Heat. I mean, not Miami Heat. Uh, in the Heat of Content. the Night. In the Heat of the Night. No, something with Heat. Uh, yeah, so well, with Blade Runner and Heat of the Night, you have a protagonist who is, they're trained, experienced, and they're competent. You know, they're, they're going out and they got, you know, they got, they got no issue going going forth and finding clues and interrogating people you you feel like they're going to get the job done uh blue velvet that's another one that has kind of a a, and we talked about it as well anti-protagonist he's just a everyday man uh and this one you have somebody while blue velvet falls in the middle like that guy blue velvet he was a competent person like you know he he was going to pay his bills on time and then on the other side you have the dude who is no one that should be solving anything outside of a word search puzzle. <laughs> Cause he's just he's just he's just making things worse. And he has 
some of the worst judgment out there, mainly because he listens to Walter and he brings Walter around. That's already that's a bad idea. Back, back to Walter. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Caitlin, hey, hey, how did you feel about this noir story compared to other noir stories that we we've seen, or is it just that much separate? Um, I mean, it's difficult because the story and the plot here aren't the best. I I don't think that it's really focused on being this grand mystery or that you need to solve. I think that the crime aspect of it, like I said, I think it's a neo-noir secondary to it being a slacker film. But I think that I liked that subversion of it being a slacker, someone who's not very competent solving it. I think that's where I kind of had the nice guy reference to, and I really like the nice guys, is that you have characters that are seemingly incompetent solving this mystery, and I kind of like that element to it. And just going back a minute to the the slacker genre as well, I think while it also subverts the neo-noir a little bit, I think it also does subvert the slacker story a little bit because I think that it does sometimes on the nose, but it kind of presents these different worldviews of how these different characters who are going nowhere but they also have very distinctive ways of viewing the world i mean you have characters that are straight up called nihilists. you have a conversation about pacifism there's absurdivism so i think that i appreciated that and, and something that i would like to look a little bit more into the deconstruction of that on repeated viewings um that's something that interested me because of that kind of different way of approaching slacker while this character is a slacker, it doesn't mean that he's not without his own way of viewing and going about the world. And I think that's true of all the characters in this film. Mm -hmm. The real big defining feature to any noir, in my opinion, is like having your characters stuck in their own past. I mean, you've got the dude stuck in the hippie era. You've got Walter stuck in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. You've got um, the big Lebowski, you know, Mr. Lebowski stuck in the generations of his achievements that no longer matter. And you've got Donnie stuck in the coffee can. So no matter what, everybody's stuck. <laughs> and he didn't stay stuck in the coffee can. <laughs> no, no, he did not. Well, that's that's why Donnie's one of the best characters. He's one of the only people who got out. Oh, yeah, wow. that's wow. true. <laughs> Sort of. The wind kind of took him at the end. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the the slacker. Like, he's not slacking to where he just doesn't care at all, and he's just lying down. I would think that's. I think that's why they bring in the nihilist as well, because you know yeah. nihilists are really. There's so many plot holes in being a nihilist. You know, they're trying. They're kind of the ones that really should be the ones that like this is all pointless. Yeah. But, you know, uh, they're they're not like that. And it kind of also shows like the difference between being just a slacker who's just going with the flow. Yeah. And also kind of takes on the like cruelty of nihilism in a way. You said the cruelty or royalty? Cruelty versus oh. Lebowski's point of view where once again, like what he does doesn't matter. But the way he views the world and goes about the world is so completely different. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it really comes back down to as well, like you were saying, larger than life. Another really good way to look at these are characters like they're all characters of these particular paths in life like like even the the nihilists they are like the absolute worst version of a nihilist that you can think of like if you take the stereotypical nihilist put it into into a movie you got these guys so it's very uh 
Brian, I know you weren't a fan of it when you tried it, but it's very much like my favorite anime is Fate Zero, and each character in that anime represents a different worldview where it's uh, nihilism, uh, utilitarianism, hedonism. So it kind of has each character kind of represents that, and I feel like it's very similar to Lebowski in that way, but very different in every single other way. (laughs) (laughs) Now I kind of want to watch it again. I kind of want to watch it again, so maybe I can go through and be like, okay, what what aspect of philosophy does this person represent? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's something, you know, we'll put a pin in that, too, because I think there's something that we can mention more about the spoiler, especially when it comes to Donnie. Mm -hmm. Uh, The amount of times that they say man and dude, like I said, it's pretty much they say man and dude once per minute. On average. All right, but dude, man, it was, that's just how it was in the 90s. Everybody said dude, <laughs> True. And man, and dude, man, and man, dude. Man, dude. <laughs> that's like a, <laughs> coming to Marvel. Man, that's a bummer, dude, man. man. So I just want a man then, spider. <laughs> man spider, dude. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> and also, this movie is known for the amount of times that it drops the F bomb. It used to be quite up there as uh, as far as like the average and amount of time set in a movie but it's a little bit further down on the list nowadays but there is if you're interested there is a I don't think it's on Wikipedia some other kind of wiki form but it it has like the top movies that have uh, used the F-bomb and the rate per minute maybe we can share that on our social media yeah Wolf of Wall Street I'll say is is the top feature length movie that isn't a documentary there is a documentary just on the F word, so of course that's said quite a few times. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's almost like cheating. Yeah. <laughs> Who would you guys recommend this movie for? Uh, as far as uh, general audience to cinephiles. Or if there's any niche audiences that you would recommend this to either. So I'd say definitely cinephiles. I mean, like you said, it's on all these lists, like thousand movies to see before you die, top whatever movies, like it's on all these lists and it's there for a reason. Um, and there's a lot you can learn if you want to get into filmmaking from this movie, in my opinion. Like you said, the cinematography is really good. The dialogue's amazing. And you can see how you can make a movie and have the movie carry on merits other than the story with how much the story is lacking here. Um, especially you're going to sit here and make a neo-noir movie, like a noir movie that's usually those kind of movies 100% rely on the story. And you're going to just basically toss out the story and just make it all about the reactions of the characters. And I feel like there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. But I think we've already said it a few times before as well when it comes to general audience. Yeah, you should definitely watch it at least once. It's it's a good movie to to watch, at least to know, to see what all the fuss is about. Mm-hmm. And then if you're a guy like me who needs to learn how to chill out a little bit more and needs to learn how to abide every now and again, maybe you should watch it more than once. What about you, Bear? I would say, um, without maybe treading on what was already said, I would say definitely I think that this is a good movie to, like, specifically someone who is, like, just starting out. It's like, hey, I really want to get into you know, movies, whether it's, you know, really breaking down movies and evaluating them or even even making movies. I could see this as a valuable uh, thing to watch um, for something like that, because, again, it is the Coen brothers and it is a very 
beautiful movie. Um, so I, I would definitely uh, recommend it to like these budding cinephiles, these uh, you know film students, these. Um, and now that we've had that talk earlier, maybe people who are interested in philosophy, um, mm-hmm. uh, and especially uh, absurdist aspects of of philosophy and such. Um, yeah, I agree. I'm I'm again really really think I'm going to end up watching this again with a brand new eye just to <laughs> just to evaluate that. We look forward to those late night texts. <laughs> see, they're going to be between like, oh, okay, I see now, guys, too. Yeah, this movie's still dumb. I don't know what you guys talking about. I shouldn't have watched it again. Just remember, <laughs> remember everything I said? Forget it. Yeah. Not even three times. <laughs> what about you, Kayla? I, I mean, I feel like it's a can appeal to cinephiles or a general audience i think that there's enough comedy and stuff in here for a general audience to be engaged and i think that cinephiles can have a lot to learn about especially screenwriters i think screenwriters can definitely learn a lot from it um because of what you said about the dialogue but i am curious though do you recommend this film for college students because for me I don't think I would have approached this as similarly as I am now if I had watched it in college. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I would recommend this to college, Caitlin. So I'm curious to see if you would recommend this to college students. College students trying to learn film or uh, like Baron was saying with the philosophy? No, just like in general, because this is usually a, a movie that you watch in college. Rick, you said you watch this in college and it gets lumped in with stuff like Animal House and Scarface, which are college movies not that Scarface is a college movie but it's the kind of movie that you watch in college and uh same with Fight Club I feel like Fight Club's also in that that's like movies that I think some college students get really attached to because I feel like I went through that phase too it's like oh Mm -hmm. like I like these movies these seem really cool movies but then I don't know that I was necessarily taking out of these movies the same thing that I would take out as an adult I think Fight Club that's kind of a that's a movie that a lot of young people are attracted to because it's kind of a it's a movie with a a rebel like message to it mm-hmm. you know because now that you know you're young and you want to fight against something like yeah anti-consumerism or you you know um movies that kind of have like a nihilistic approach to it kind of like i don't know like a more like darker outlet mm-hmm. and like a young adult angst type thing but i think i don't know i think this is a movie that i i would show to college students because i think like there are those that will like it during that time. But then I think there are people who are going to like this movie more when they're older. Probably. Yeah. So you may, you may not like this while you may put this on for a group of college kids and maybe like 50% of them like it. And for the, you know, that 50% that don't like it, I would say, Hey, watch it when you, when you get older and see what you think about it. I would, I would add to that and say, I probably would recommend to college students. Um, and then tell them, watch it now, give it a break, watch when you get older. Mm-hmm. See how you feel between each ro- watching. Also, if you're if you're a stoner, I'm absolutely recommending this movie. <laughs> I mean, I feel like stoner just just recommend any movie to them. They're gonna they're gonna be cool with it. Yeah, it's it's that it's that whole joke. <laughs> it's that it, it's that whole joke. Have you seen this movie? Have you seen this movie? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think 
something I've kind of put together while we're talking, and this theory could be entirely off the wall. But a lot of these movies that are these movies that people attach themselves to in college are very psych 101 level people who want to view themselves as deep Mm. and they watch a movie that is actually in all actuality very shallow but it presents itself almost as being deep and like there's almost this feeling you get from watching it where you're like you're in on it you get it and there are other people who don't um and that's the perfect age to fit in there to believe that like yeah this movie is really deep and like there's all this other stuff to it and i get it all and really it's just a surface level movie it's all stuff you can get at surface level and this is where big lebowski falls in this is where movies like boondock saints and fight club and stuff like that all falls in where it has quote-unquote deep things to it but they're all actually basically spoon fed to you at surface level so it makes you feel like you're smart and <laughs> yeah so yeah, yeah sure. no, that's true sure if you're if your college and makes you feel like it's smart and you enjoy it for that reason go for it and we'll weed out those friends too if you're interested you can kind of you can start asking them questions <laughs> like all right so what, what does that actually mean like i get i think the dark knight is another one of those films but oh, i yeah. think it's a, yeah. i think the dark knight is a good film but I do think that there are a lot of people that watch Absolutely. it and think it is a lot deeper, think that the Joker is like, he's just on this whole other level of thinking, which he is. It's called craziness. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, I mentioned it a couple times, one of the lines in that movie that I don't think make a, makes a lot of sense, but it sounds smart that a lot of people like to quote it. And that's either you die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And people take mm-hmm. that like as some like great philosophical meaning to it. When I'm like, that's that doesn't even really make sense if you kind of if you put it into like a real life scenario. <laughs> uh, but nothing against those people, by the way. I think you know we. I, I'll be the first to admit I, I have some of those, and I've gone back on some things, and I've been like, yeah, I didn't know what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's other things that I'll still support. Like, hey, I I love Stanley Kubrick. Back in the day when I first started getting a film, I still I still love Stanley Kubrick and that big board of his. But there's there's like other there's there's music, TV shows, movies that I've rewatched and listened to, and I'm like, yeah, that was just me, Sharna. <laughs> like you said, Psych 101. Mm-hmm. Like we've all been there to a degree. So I, I agree with you as well, Caitlin. When you said this for for cinephiles, I don't think this is like the first movie to show like uh, introductory film because I think there's things to appreciate in here once you start to learn the things to appreciate in film. Mm-hmm. I think the things of like the cinema cinematography, because it's, it's subtle. It is very subtle, yeah. Yeah, you're not going to notice at first. Same thing with the screenwriting. That's why neither of them were, you know, nominated for the Academy. <laughs> All right, well, hey, I told you guys, you know, I'm not I'm not just going to, you know, bust in your house and throw these spoilers in your bathtub. <laughs> okay, I'm going to let you know right now, like, hey, the spoilers are coming up. <laughs> is that a Mormon? <laughs> <laughs> sorry um I don't, like did they know he was taking a bath <laughs> anyway so the spoilers are here and if you have not seen this movie you don't want to be spoiled hey don't continue on through pause it come back uh if you have seen this film or you're one of those people that don't care about spoilers continue on through i would i would i would like to point out though that the movie was made in 98 so if you accidentally get spoiled, spoiled, come on, man, you had time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's some like, 
I, I don't I don't know. There's some there's some movies that I feel like they're kind of yeah, like if you didn't know, then that, that's <laughs> on you at this point. But this is one of the movies like it I, I feel like I didn't hear anything about like this movie to be able to get spoiled about it before I watched it. I clearly didn't since I thought it was being John Malkovich. Yep. So <laughs> I, I, I was about to say, I think spoilers might help the movie. I think more people might watch it with spoilers. Yeah, like knowing that this movie, like the story does not really matter. Mm, no. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that this does well as a noir film compared to other noir films, especially like Kiss Kiss, Bang Bang, and uh, The Nice Guys, which that's just two movies right there. They... I feel like Shane Black really try to make a twist at the end of this at the end of his movies mm-hmm. and like his plots get too convoluted, especially the yeah. nice guys. It gets too convoluted uh, where here it just they figure it out and then they just drop it. And I don't know how you guys felt about the ending. I think that's one of the things that bothered me the first time I watched it. But watching it the second time, it I, I think is fitting. Mm. It being the first time I watched it, it was an issue for me. It felt a little lackluster um, because I was expecting more. And then, I don't know, I think the way that things played out at the end with the Germans, I didn't fully understand it because it was so simplistic. Well, so simplistic that the only reason it didn't remain simplistic is because somebody didn't want to see the simplicity in it. And that was Walter. The the thing of it is is that I, I kind of kept putting this off or kept not talking about it throughout because I didn't want to spoil it because I feel the point I just made not just long ago when like who should see the movie and we're talking about college kids and me talking to me this this being a very surface level movie where all of the deep things in it are right there at the surface mm-hmm. and you can you can catch them all right there. And I was putting it off because there are a bunch of things about this movie that just really feed into that particular point. The ending being one of them. Yeah. Because the whole movie can be wrapped up with the dude abides, which is, you know, the the way the movie ends is the dude abides. There is nothing else to get. There is nothing else to Mm -hmm. understand. We're right back where we started. You know, the dude is still the dude. He's still going on. He didn't really affect anything. And he's still bowling. You know, it's there's no deeper thing to get there. Yeah, I think uh, one of the scenes that really got me and really feels like this point made like put on screen is when he's in the uh, porn producer's house and the the producer walks away for a moment and the dude runs over to like his notepad and takes a pencil and tries to like find something on the pad by like scribbling over it. And it's just a drawing of a dick. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if that is not this movie, I don't know what is. Because you yeah. go and you try to look for something beyond the surface. You're scratching, you're searching. And it's just a dick pic. Like, it's just like somebody mm-hmm. drew a dick. Like, it's, and that's all that's there. It's it's everything you're going to find about this movie. And not to say that it doesn't have substance. It's just, it's all laid bare. There's nothing further for you to understand. And if you go looking for further meeting... You'll probably find it because, you know, it's like self-fulfilling prophecy. If you go looking for something in this movie, you'll probably find it because it is so simple. You can mold it to whatever you want it to look like. Mm-hmm. But in all honesty, it's all right there on the surface. Yeah. And it's aware of that. It's aware of itself. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, with the with the way that it ends, I think there are like enough twists and mystery solving throughout the film that you don't really need it too much to conclude the film yeah uh, which kind of reminds me of like some season finales one recently uh that have th- it's where the big the big lebowski had me thinking about the attack on titan 
uh, finale where I was like, man, that show like just has so many twists and reveals throughout the show. And I knew it was going to happen. I was like, they're going to they're going to end this and they're going to try to put too much. They're going to keep trying to twist it. and It's not going to make as much sense or it's not going to be as effective. Yeah. And I think that does happen with some noir films. I think, you know, we're solving the mystery throughout, but there's this expectation of something of it being of it being grand. And I think Blade Runner is one that also, you know, they they kind of they give up on trying to make it have it a big grand mystery at the end. That one ends a bit simplistic as well. You know, with the tears and the rain. Oh, you're talking about. Oh, I didn't know which Blade Runner you were talking about. I think that's. Oh, <laughs> it, it's it's so yeah. funny that we talked about it. Blade Runner so much, especially that monologue, because I was just looking up that monologue last night because <laughs> I wanted to do some oh, like really? I wanted to do like voiceover practicing. I was like, hmm, what monologue would I want to do? And I looked that one mm-hmm. up. <laughs> I'm a Blade Runner original fan. So good. I, I prefer the sequel. Did not like the new one. And what did you guys feel? So, the you know, you have the ending of the mystery, but Coen Brothers, they add a little something extra to this. You have Donnie's death. Uh, which even Sam uh, Sam Elliott says that he wasn't a fan of this ending. Mm-mm. What did you guys feel about it? I didn't like it. I mean, I, I just saying too. Like, I, you know, I when we were talking earlier, you know, we liked Donnie. We we didn't. We you know, we kind of identified with him. We saw ourselves in him, and then it's like, and he died. It's like, oh, you killed us. Great, thanks. Yeah, it felt <laughs> pointless, but I also felt like that was the point. <laughs> yeah, to get a bit pretentious and try to look deeper into the meaning you know we said that donnie is you know he's just he's kind of the, the straight character in all of this he is the one that he doesn't have a philosophy he's the audience avatar who's just going along with the ride but yet he kind of he becomes really the only true victim in this film uh him and uh, a woman's toe are the only two that really <laughs> you know that the, yeah, the girlfriend of the nihilist yeah yeah uh, the ones to really lose something. So I, th- I think it could be seen in that way. Like no matter how you go about life, you know, whatever view you decide to choose, you know, the, de- the, cause I think a lot of times, especially with the nihilists, like their big thing is none of this matters. We're all going to die anyway. The slacker is just trying to enjoy life. The, that death is going to come, uh, is going to come at a time that you, you know, you're not going to expect. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless of your view, death is death is going to be there because he dies by like he doesn't even die by the circumstances. He dies by witnessing the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of goes back into the whole it doesn't like nothing changes. Mm-hmm. I think there's yeah. a, a big theme in this movie is nothing changes. Nothing you do actually affects too much. It's uh, things are just going to happen regardless. And that's how Donnie's death is. It just happens. It's not because necessarily of anything going on. It just kind of happens. And so I, the whole point of it is like we are all dust in the wind or dust in your friend's face, regardless of how it <laughs> ends up. But, like, you know, it's that's just where you are with it. And especially with Donnie, I mean, like, if we're going to say that he is the audience standing character and like the one who is the most grounded, the ones who most normal, the moment they take Donnie, because like, yeah, um, the dude takes Walter to like every big event. The moment they take Donnie and Donnie is at a big event, he's so normal while everybody else is so over the top. Of course, he, he can't handle that situation. Like, it's just so much for him that he just like keels over and dies. So, 
Yeah, there, once again, I think I was kind of saying earlier where you can you can prescribe any meaning to it that you want. You know, you could say, hey, it means we're all just dust in the wind. It means that he's so normal and he can't stand this over the top scene. It, it, you can prescribe any meaning to it that you want. But at the end of the day, it's just it just happens. Yeah. And like a lot of things in this movie, like it, it, nobody has any control over it. It just happens. And me personally, I I like that he died as a character only because toward the end of the movie, like Walter does get humanized a bit. And I believe Donnie's death is part of the journey that gets to humanizing Walter. Um, now, if you really don't like Walter as a character, you could say he doesn't need humanizing. <laughs> um, so, which is another reason to not like Donnie's death. But um, I believe Donnie's death is, a stepping stone to Walter's character arc. I think also going off of uh, nothing changes. Uh, like he, he dies and life still goes on. Nothing changes. Life still goes on and nothing changes. And I think that's a very mm-hmm. pessimistic way of viewing things. But I think that if you don't necessarily have that kind of worldview, I can understand why that death wouldn't work for you. Well, I think too that... Well, actually, I'll go back to what you said about Walter, because I mentioned that there were kind of two movie, two moments in this movie that I, that Walter, I understood why he was around more and understood why they still hung out with him. And it's what kind of made me feel better as having him as an unlikable character in this. And that is, yeah, when Donnie dies and he's giving that speech, yeah, he starts to go back and talk about Nam, but you, you actually realize that he did care for Donnie. Like he gave Donnie a lot of crap, but he he still cared for him. He knew about him. Uh, you know, he pronounces his full name at his, you know, during his, I don't know what to call that, ash spreading obituary wake, and then he did he does get Donnie the what's it called the um the burgers from In and Out. He probably tells yeah. him to wait in the car, not to, not to like, not wanting him to be near him, and he's annoyed with him, but probably because he's protecting him. And he tells Donnie he's out of his element. He tells him that plenty of times and it does seem like he's just riffing on him. But maybe there there is a point there and Walter does care about him. And it's interesting that you do get that added bit of humanization to a character who is not the lead at the end of the movie. If anybody should have got a sequel, it wasn't the Jesus. It was probably Walter, you know, that could have used some kind of, you know, spinoff. <laughs> spinoff. Yeah. Or in some kind of, you know, further, like a further building. Arc. That he oh gosh! <laughs> absolutely. Well, I feel like he get... was redeemed by the end. You think so? Okay. I, I for for me that that what he what he did for Donnie, I I think it did work. I don't know if it, I would call it full on redeemed, but definitely yeah. humanized. Y- yes. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm not talking about like he. This isn't like a like a night like full redemption. Like I'm talking about like this is kind of mm-hmm. like just basic life redemption almost. Like they didn't even bother getting him an urn, so that could have. I don't know. There's like, there again. There's some contrast there with how they view life and death you know because they're like what's the point of putting him in an urn if we're just going to throw him out anyway so they're like that that part is not important the materials aren't important it's you know it's what we're going to say and where we're going to place donnie at the end uh, that i think you can look at as far as a pessimistic view i think when it comes to you know uh like you were saying caitlin i think you can be op- optimistic and pessimistic about the the end in, in how you how you see death you can either be like a nihilist who thinks that none of this none of this matters this is all pointless looking at the world as and from that pass, pessimistic point of view of like oh none of this matters you know that's why i'm unhappy no 
Uh, but I think you can be optimistic and you'd be like the dude who's just he's enjoying life till that till that end and you know he knows the end is going to come but he's optimistic and he's still going to enjoy life he's going to enjoy his white russians he's fine with what he's doing he doesn't have any issue with people calling him a bum uh he doesn't have the only thing he really cared about was the rug which he doesn't even get in the end he's still rugless (laughs) nothing ties that room together at the end this story is more tied together than his room which is saying something yeah, it, just because it's nihilistic and just because nothing changes doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be pessimistic. Mm-hmm. That can be optimistic, and that's what the dude is all about. That's the dude abides, and like it's not like he's just abiding and dealing with it. He's he's he knows he can't affect it, and he's okay with that. If anything, he likes that. Yeah, Man, we're talking real deep for the stoner movie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, like I said, it's one of those things where, yeah, it seems like deep concepts, but they also spewed feed them to you. They yeah. literally tell you like it's they very end it with level. the dude abides, you know, it's they give you the moral of the story at the end of the story, which that that's was such a classic trope of storytelling at some point in time. They're like, oh, here's the story. And at the end, here's the moral of the story. And mm-hmm. we don't really get that anymore. But yeah, we got the moral of the story at the end. The moral of the story is the dude abides. Uh, yeah, they literally pull in the narrator, mm-hmm. yeah. which I which I think is funny that the the main one of the main antagonists of the movie are the nihilists, <laughs> and the mm-hmm. dude is essentially a nihilist as well. Because wh- why do the nihilists the nihilists don't care so much? They're going through a lot of trouble, right? Right. To they get to the point where they find out that they don't have money, so they still try to rob them. It's hard to be a true nihilist. It, it it's is hard to be a true nihilist in a capitalistic society. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you still need mo- you still need money. Yep. <laughs> well, I think it's just hard to be a nihilistic a nihilist in the first place because it's just basic. You know, I, don't, I hate saying basic human instinct because that sounds like Psych 101, but it's it is because it's just a basic human instinct to survive. Like yeah. if you're a true nihilist, then just jump off a bridge. Why? Why not? But like the moment that you're in a life and death situation, I feel like that's the test of a nihilist. Well, just because you don't believe that you have any effect upon the world at large and nothing you do matters doesn't mean that you can't still enjoy life and want it to continue. Yeah, I mean, that's why we have like hedonists. What's a hedonist? Like Compared the to point a of life, because nothing matters, the point of life is pleasure. Yeah, so I feel like that's like nihilists are kind of the pessimistic portion of the group and the heathenists are the optimistic group i mean i think they're all one and the same i think you can have nihilists like the germans whereas a negative pessimistic thing and then you have nihilism like the dude who is all right i guess he is a little bit more of a hedonistic um where nothing matters but that's the beauty in it i think that there's a lot of people who see that as a more positive thing he, he would be more of a passive nihilist yeah yeah feel like we're just talking in thesis statements now <laughs> <laughs> well you can find any meaning you want in this meeting yeah in this, in this movie mm-hmm. or you can just uh and i'm not saying any no discredit anything we just said or you can you can just enjoy this film this film doesn't yeah. also have to be looked really into and there's i think there's enough comedy in here that this can be enjoyed as a straight comedy mm-hmm. uh there's one of my favorite one of my favorite scenes in this and something I was quoting in the after the first time I was watching it, which I, I didn't care for it too much, is the whole the toe scene. He's like, that could be anybody's toe. We don't know that. He's like, you can get a toe from it. Where are you going to get somebody's toe? I can get you a toe. I can get you a toe by two o'clock. Toe by with nail polish. 
like I'll say that in different contexts to people. People say like I lost something, I can't find someone. I was like, I can find that. Find that easily. Get it to you by three p.m. <laughs> oh, one thing um, I forgot to mention with Walter, and that was something that adds to that uh, philosophy conversation is that he stuck in the past as well with Nam and his ex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have yeah. the big Lebowski who's stuck with his his success, and you have the trophy wife who is just she's she's more about like not caring but she's in you can compare her to the dude as well so it's Mm -hmm. yeah we can we can go all day about this yeah the the movie definitely explores every type of nihilism yeah something we didn't talk about as a funnier moment was the julianne moore moment after they sleep together and she's just stretching i'm like (laughs) why is she stretching what is she doing Like, did they just let Julianne Moore just to do whatever she wants? And then when she finally comes out with like, oh, yeah, it's to conceive. <laughs> I was like, what? He just spits out the milk. Uh, oh, what? So your reaction was exactly the same as the dude's. Yep. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Because she was stretching for a good while. She was stretching for a good while before he even said anything. And I was like, what is she doing? <laughs> I'm surprised that we've gotten this far without talking about any of the dream sequences. Oh, yeah. That that yeah that is right. Those are those are some interesting dream sequences, which remind me kind of bowling when they have those like random sequences up on the up on the board, depending oh, on like yeah. you make yes. a strike or something. Like they are just completely random. I wonder if they were influenced by the Big Lebowski. It's but yeah, his dream like, sequences yeah. are great. But it's very also like very old Hollywood too. Yeah. Oh yeah, with him being shrunken down, which that. The way the way his eyes were and his smile and the way it was shot was had me cracking up in his dance as a mm-hmm. little miniature Lebowski. The small Lebowski, maybe some would say. <laughs> but even as the small Lebowski, he is enjoying his time more than the big Lebowski. Think about that. Think about that. Yeah. I think that that's the dream sequences are the first places that people will go and look if they want to find deeper meaning in the movie. They're like, okay, what's the symbolism of the costumes that were chose? What's the symbolism of the music? What's the symbolism of this and that? And the fact of the matter is, it's just more surface level. Enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Once we get to start talking about dreams, that's when. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's that's the early (laughs) college student that will start talking about that first. Exactly. Exactly. Got you guys get him, and there's like ten pins, right? They get knocked down. It's like the Ten Commandments of the Lord that constantly get broken in this film. <laughs> Look, basically, what we're saying is, if you are a, a first year psych student and like you need to write like a film analysis essay or some sort of paper, just use this movie because whatever you write, it'll work. <laughs> and reference us as well. Put us in your bibliography. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think of uh the mug the mug had me cracking up. He throws that mug at him. The that when he meets that police chief, which I've seen like that that gift before, but just seeing oh, I don't man. know like the timing of it. That's another whole scene and whole character that could completely be cut from the movie and yeah. nothing would change. But like it, so happy it's there. I honestly I just watched the movie like two days ago and completely forgot about that scene until you just brought it up, <laughs> and it's hilarious. Yeah, he just throws him on the ground and then kicks him. He puts his hat on. Like, I think he has his hat off the whole time. And he throws the mug, puts the hat on, throws him down, and then kicks him. (laughs) I quoted in here, what's the problem? And I don't remember what that's from. 
Oh, it was Walter asking, like, what's the problem? Because after he, that whole scene, that's when Walter should have been cut. Like, or like, not cut from the film, but that's when the dude should have been like, yeah, you're not coming with me anymore. I don't even know why he brought him to do that transaction. But he brought the, <laughs> the, the fact that they just kept saying the ringer. He, he brought the ringer, which was his dirty undies, and just throws him <laughs> off the bridge. And he jumps out the car. The Uzi just starts going oh. off. The car crashes. <laughs> yeah, I had it in my notes. Oh my gosh, not the Uzi. <laughs> and then they're at the bowling alley. And I love, um, I don't have a word for the, these type of conversations. It reminds me a lot of uh, Smiling with Friends, they, which is a very weird show. Uh, but they have this kind of conversation rhythm where they're talking over each other, but they're coming back to certain things and they're trying to, uh, they're still trying to get answers for something. But the whole time, they're at the bowling alley and they're like, what are we going to do, man? Well, you said it yourself. She wasn't kidnapped. I didn't say that she wasn't kidnapped. I say she was possibly uh, not kidnapped and she kidnapped herself. Well, she for certain kidnapped herself. And then Donnie starts to come in and he he's trying to get into the conversation, <laughs> but it, what he, he starts going off on something else. And you kind of have like three conversations going on. You have this phone ringing, but it doesn't feel too chaotic either, which, you know, I'll give props to the direction for that. No, I think I think it is a, you know, a bit of a talent to have so many characters talking over each other and make it cohesive at the same time and also not feel like I also think about Uncut Gems, which does it well. But that movie is just is it, it makes you very anxious when everybody's talking mm-hmm. over each other like that. And there's noises going in the background while here it's done for comedic effect. It's good directing. Yeah. Great directing. Do you guys think that this film will hold up and do, do you think it holds up now and do you think it will continue to hold up? Yeah, I mean, I think it does hold up now, um, and I, I know I keep harping on the same point, but part of why it holds up is because of its simplicity. Like, there is no meaning to search for in this movie that doesn't hold up now that times have changed X amount or anything like that. And like you were saying with the cinematography, it's so it's such a beautiful movie and such an aesthetically pleasing movie that... It, you don't watch the movie and go, oh, this is dated. Um, it feels like if the movie was made today, it would look exactly the same because this is the aesthetic that they chose for it, not the aesthetic they were stuck to because of the technology they had. Um, so, yeah, I think it holds up just because it's a simple, funny movie and that'll never go out of style. Yeah, that is true. There's not this doesn't really lock you into a time period too much aside from, you know, of course, small things like. Home phones, answering machines, fax machines, uh, um, them actually writing things down at the bowling alley. Do people still use fax machines? <laughs> Which, why was the ransom letter? Why was it written like that and faxed? I don't know that 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 bothered me for some reason. Because they were amateurs. <laughs> yeah, true. But they could fax. <laughs> the amateurs had a fax machine. Yeah, they. Fa- I just realized that they faxed a ransom letter like that is. <laughs> and actually, if you think about it too, it, if you made that movie nowadays and you kept that fax part in, that oh, that'd be it, hilarious. It would just make it funnier. Yeah, it's even better. <laughs> like I can just imagine somebody getting it. Like I didn't even know we had a fax machine, let alone a number. <laughs> but if you look at the character of Mister Lebowski, he is totally the guy who would still have a fax machine in his house. Yeah, true. Even today. Yep. Yeah. Again, though, still be funnier. Yes. But yeah, that's a good point that it just, yeah, th- this does fit in any time. What about you, Baron? 
I mean, we're still talking about just in general uh, how it would still hold up. Does or are we talking up? about faxes? Yep. Okay. Um, no. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no it, it definitely, it, it 100% holds up. Um, it, um, it doesn't really have one of those situations where it doesn't, quote, age well, end quote. Um, I don't think there's any, like, overtly, like, racist or transphobic or... Uh, I mean, I, I definitely misogynistic, but that's kind of part of the, the joke. Um, I think any kind of offensive stuff is going to come from Walter. And that's, mm-hmm. again, part of the joke. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I think I think it definitely holds up as, in that way. In terms of the story, it definitely has a timeless quality to it. So it, it, it doesn't matter when that story is told, it's going to have the same effect. Um, the only thing that's going to affect how you watch it is obviously where culture is at the time. And I don't think that, I mean, I think that the movie getting more popular as time goes on just kind of tells us this, this is definitely holding up and it's still connecting with audiences of a modern, uh, modern age. God, it was like 25 years ago. I think it's kind of funny. You, you bring up the fact that if anything is going to offensive is going to come out, it's going to come from Walter and Walter is act as also the only character to correct offensive what speech. The China oh, fair. Yeah. yeah. Fair. Yeah. I was thinking <laughs> about fair. that too. Yeah. Yeah. With like slacker movies in general, like I wonder how it fits in with where culture is at. Right. Because I feel like slackers are always going to be looked down on by some part of the culture, but I think it's still a prevailing part of every youth culture. So I think that even Gen Z can, you know, take stuff out of this. I think that that's always my question is like, will this work for the generation below me? And I think, yeah, I think that this would still hold up. So what you're saying is, that Gen Z is full of a bunch of slackers. <laughs> I'm not saying not you're wrong. I'm, saying. <laughs> I'm not Maybe saying you're right. Saying. <laughs> no, I mean, I think they really have things together. I think on the contrary, I think Gen Z is kind of the opposite because I think that there's more pressure for Gen Z to be something because of TikTok with social media and having to do more with their lives and be of more importance rather than just a nobody. So I think that because of that, this film might have just as much influence on that kind of culture and much more, just as much to say in opposition to that kind of culture um, if, if you wanted to. Like you said, you can really take whatever you want out of this film. So it's curious to me how... Like, I would be curious getting a Gen Z perspective on this film and slacker films in general. Yeah, I think this movie in general, you have, um, I, like, in my opinion, I think that the people at the time who were watching it, those that, that generation of people, you know, going from, like, Gen X, like, late Gen X, early uh, millennials, I think that they saw in the dude kind of what they saw in our generations. You know, he's in this whirlpool of, uh, like, capitalism, uh, nihilism, just weirdness going on from, the like, the older and, like, the younger generation. Even, weirdly enough, even feeling protective over the younger generation who is Donnie, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like maybe that may be why a lot of, like, uh, Gen X and uh, Millennials would relate to that. 
But at the same time, you look at Gen Z and you look at Gen Alpha coming up and the world is on fire mm-hmm. and it is a mess right now. I think that there's even more reason to connect to this and see in that whirlpool of just crazy surrealism, this eye of calmness and abiding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I w- I'd say, well, one, every generation is going to, like you said, Caitlin, every generation is going to kind of relate to this because every generation, it's not that any generation is lazier than the other or, you know, doesn't work as hard. It's not, it's not about generation. It's just an age group. And I was, I was watching a video and they were just kept, they showed like all these news articles and each one was about like how the generation before are slackers. Uh, and I think also, I don't, I think everybody, even now, like the world is on fire, but it's been on fire forever. Uh, there's that, uh, Billy Joel song. who, yep. I was about to say Bon Jovi. I was like, it's not Bon Jovi. I always get those two confused because it's, it's BJ. <laughs> I had that locked and loaded. <laughs> <laughs> the song started playing in my head and then you came in with the drums yeah yeah uh, yep. which actually fallout boy uh did a rendition of that song yeah it was pretty good uh, actually i yeah. have i have i have major beef with that version of the song which one <laughs> the calls fallout you out boy oh. version uh well just because i feel like the original song took the time to put the events in order oh chronologically uh, fair. and and the new version just kind of throws it all around willy-nilly and so the original song you can actually get an idea of where the world was going and the sequence of events and the new song if somebody were to go back who didn't live through all that events and li- and listen to that song th- there's there's no frame of reference gotcha okay well that's because see time time doesn't really matter anymore <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have a podcast where we're going back and time watching all these films. <laughs> yeah, time time is just it's just there. But um, I seriously thought you were about to go David David Tennant on me there for a second. <laughs> and that just most people really whirly. View, yeah, most people view time as a strict progression of uh, chain of events, but actually, it's a big ball of wibbly wobbly timey wimey <laughs> stuff. <Timey-wimey. laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah you know for all those reasons you guys said i think this film does hold up what do you guys rate this film let's go ahead and start with you rick uh i'll give it a b plus um i think it's a really good movie it's probably one of my favorite movies but i can also acknowledge its flaws and where it does fall short um which is why it doesn't quite make a and S isn't even in the conversation. Um, but yeah, a high B, B plus. I'm surprised S doesn't make any conversation. So S, it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be above A, like in quality. S is also your personal sentiment. Yeah, but even still, like even my own personal sentiment, like if if I were to like, like Baron was saying earlier for this movie, for a lot of people is if you invite somebody over and they want to watch a movie, like this is a movie that a lot of people put on, this would not be a movie that I'd do that with. I have my list of movies True. that I would do that with, but this doesn't, this doesn't hit it. Reckoning for a dream. <laughs> Baron, what did you think of this movie? Feeling like you're going to be on the opposite side. I'm going to give it a C minus. It is a passing grid. Um, one that, you know, is not going to be looked kindly co- upon by, uh, college recruiters, but, um, we'll get you a diploma. Um, like I said, it's, it's, 
I, I think maybe a lot of my bias comes from being forced to watch it over and over and over and over again. Um, but it, it it is still like, you know, you watch it once. It's pleasurable. It's good. It, it's funny. And I think that if you just don't put a lot of thought into it, it's probably even better. But like as soon as you start putting thought into this is where it starts kind of falling apart for me. Um, I know we just did that tonight. And we just went through and we found some cool parts and stuff like that. And I'm even half tempted to watch the movie again just to test this theory. But I can guarantee you I'm not going to be looking at it as a form of entertainment if I watch the movie again. So. Well, if you do watch it again, let us let us know. And we'll let the audience know. The Big Lebowski, that is. Yeah. Caitlin, what did you, where do you rank this? Um, I think we have a solid B. I think that the pacing at the beginning was a little bit rough for me and the story I can appreciate the simplicity of it but I did expect a little bit something different at the end but maybe on a rewatch I would like it a little bit better I don't know but I do think that there is a lot to like about this film especially for me being someone who enjoys writing screenplays I think that there's a lot to learn about dialogue writing for this that I really appreciate okay uh, for similar reasons, I'm surprisingly I'm going to be actually the highest here. Uh, no pun intended. A minus. <laughs> oh. And I was kind of thinking about an A, but A is too close to A plus. For one, this this is I think is an A territory movie with some very minor flaws to it. Uh, but seeing how much philosophy we got out of this, you know, whether it be genuine or pretentious, that we got out of this movie you know that's mainly a comedy i think is great you know this is a movie that you're going to continue talking about i'm you know caitlin as you know and i mentioned this before especially in the apartment i'm a sucker for great screenplays and screenplays that i can look at and learn a lot from and i think there's so many so many good things going for this screenplay so many excellent things uh that kind of tempt it's tempting me to watch it again uh, very soon. Uh, the direction is great as well. The camera work, before I even knew that it was Roger Deakins, is fantastic. I think there's just this movie is so so well made, but at the same time, I can see why it didn't get so much attention and why it was mixed when it first came out. So I think that's what also kind of that's what kind of also keeps me from going to that going to the solid A is because I know that there is some things are wrong with this film and not everybody's really going to is going to like it. I'm not going to say appreciate it because I can see why you would, wouldn't like this film. But, you know, for me and for, for what I think this film is, I think it is a territory film. And for me, it's a A minus. I'd have to rewatch A Serious Man, but this might be my favorite Coen brother film so far that I've seen. So far. Interesting. Hold yeah. out. Hold out for O brother. We're right now. Okay. <laughs> and people would say Fargo. I know yeah, that. Fargo I got to watch. I'll see where I am with Fargo. You lost me at Where's the car? Where's the car? It's <laughs> Isn't that the beginning of the film? <laughs> Barton Fink's another one of theirs that I've been wanting to watch cuz it's about a playwright, so that one might also just hit me in the <laughs> in the writer, so we'll see. <laughs> I I do I wonder what I think of Inside Lewin Davis now. I do know that I I, I don't know if I'll re rewatch the movie anytime soon, but I'll definitely rewatch that John Goodman scene because I remember that being really good. For what I can remember, if it's the John Goodman scene I'm thinking of, I'll probably rewatch that. But that's just one of the Coen brothers. 
Yeah, I don't know where I'll rank these films. I feel like I gotta rewatch a lot of the Coen Brother films. Mm-hmm. I do rank this above No Country for Old Men, which I know is going yeah, to get. Yeah, I did not like No Country for Old Men. No Country for Old Men. No Country for Old Men fell short for me in a lot of places, especially the ending. Agreed. That and True Grit, I wasn't a big fan of either. I still need to see True Grit, but don't you have something against Haley Steinfeld? Um, I because if she was in that Edge of Seventeen movie, I don't. I'm not a big fan of hers. And the fact that she's beautiful and talented. God. Why Why is that? Settle down, MT. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know who that is, it, it's, a, it's a theory guy who is like absolutely in love with Haley Steinfeld. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. he, he made it his entire yeah, personality no. for like a month or two. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I like her. I do feel like her... She does get a lot of love that I don't I don't fully see. I didn't dislike Why? her when I watched True Grit because that was like her first role. I didn't have anything to judge her off of then. Speaking of Edge of Seventeen and movies that, you know, liking better the second watch, that's a movie I didn't like more the second watch. I actually liked the film less. Mm, I did not like that movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't care for I don't even think I finished it the second time. But not as bad as Spectacular Mal. I love coming of age movies. I love coming of age movies so much. But that one and Spectacular Now were not good. But Spectacular Now, I think, takes the cake for being the worst. <laughs> I may have to watch that with Devin one day. <laughs> did we all give our rating? Yeah, we did. Okay, good. Yep. Mm-hmm. Good, good, good. Yep, we're kind of all over the place. Yeah, we are a little bit today. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we go into our next episode tease, um, I want to go ahead and give the Caster Guilds, you know, the the microphone right now. And I mentioned your guys' podcast and what you do, but you know, go ahead and, and tell us, you know, where we can find you. Uh, who who are those that will be interested in what you guys offer? Um, so yeah, we are the Casters Guild. Um, me being uh, Guildmaster Baron Kane, and uh, my partner being Guildmaster Rick Perry. Um, you can pretty much find us anywhere that you can listen to podcasts on. We actually like to uh, get on after every podcast and look at where you're listening from. So get in there and mix it all up for me. Um, Be sure to uh, check out our Discord if you want to uh, join a growing and fun community of uh, nerds, geeks, and other uh, fandom dwellers. And um, you can find that in our link tree uh, with pretty much any of our podcasts and stuff. Uh, we're on TikTok, kinda. We're on Instagram, kinda. We're growing that, and uh, again, our link tree is on both of those. Um, so yeah, come and check us out. Come and hang out, and uh, maybe one day you can uh, join the guild and be on a uh, podcast. We actually just wrapped season four, so there's plenty of content for you to listen to if you're a new listener. Uh, Caitlin joined us on our season finale, so that's a good place to start. Um, both of our cinema detectives here joined us on an episode called Must See Movies. So you could check us out on that one as well. That's ironically on our list of must see podcasts. So (laughs) (laughs) we spent the majority of season four not talking about movies and TV shows in solidarity with the strike. So we are actually just getting ready to go back and record one more episode all about the movies and TV shows that we missed. So that will be an excellent episode for you to tune into. And uh, 
email us at casterskill at gmail.com. Let us know what movies you would want us to talk about. Sounds good. All sounds really good. Let's talk about that next episode that we have. Caitlin, you want to go ahead and let our audience know? So our next film that we're tackling does not star Jeff Bridges. It stars Kurt Russell because we're going to be tackling Escape from New York by John Carpenter. Oh, there he is again. There he is again. So I'm excited to do that one. It's uh, I am a John Carpenter fan, but there's definitely a lot of films of his that I haven't yet seen, and that's one of them. The Snake and the Dude. Now that would be a buddy cop film to watch. <laughs> hey, maybe next yeah, that's a- maybe next time we're on, we could uh, we could all watch the Apocalypse trilogy and uh, come back on. Ah, uh, yes. That. Which one is the Apocalypse trilogy? John Carpenter. Uh, it would be the Thing. In the Mouth of Madness and Prince of Darkness. Yep. Prince of Darkness is the Uh, only one I haven't seen. Yeah. Oh boy, it's a. And I've been wanting to watch it. (laughs) It's a doozy. It's a doozy. Uh, I haven't seen any of those movies, so that would be. What a loser. You haven't seen a thing, even? (laughs) No. Wow. Okay, yeah, we have to bring you back for the Apocalypse trilogy then. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, we can't bring you back for the thing. Uh, That's actually one of our lost. That's our only lost episode. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a reason well, it, to re-record it. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Especially if we do it together as a trilogy, we could do that. Because yeah. I feel like the thing is definitely the most influential, but I definitely would like to talk about the trilogy as a whole. I liked Indie Mouth of Madness. Oh, yeah. It's, so much. Get in it's the a comments. lot, but yeah. Tell them how much you wanted the trilogy, Apocalypse Trilogy episode. <laughs> now, granted, it's it's intentionally lost. It was our prototype episode. It was, it was the prototype first episode, episode we were yeah. ever recorded as practice. I still, okay, in my mind, at some point we recorded It's a Wonderful Life, and apparently that never happened. But in my mind, I'm so convinced that it happened. Your angel came and showed you what it would have been like if you had recorded (laughs) It's a Wonderful Life. Yep. That or my theory is that, so she she had COVID at the time, and that's why we didn't record, and we released Coming to America instead. My theory is that she was having a fever dream and had a mock podcast with her cats. Yeah, that's also probably accurate. (laughs) Which now that's, that may be the true lost episode. <laughs> now, you know where to find the Caster Guild. After you go ahead and check them out, you can go ahead and check us out as well. You don't have to send us a fax. Uh, if you try to, first buy, buy us a fax machine and a fax plan. I don't know how that works. Does it come from the home bill? Is it just, do they just get that one for free by the government? But you know what? Don't, don't even worry about it. It's just, it's just, it's just too much. That, oh, yeah, there's also a beeper in this movie. I meant to call my dad and ask him again how a beeper actually works. Because I know we were talking about that before, Caitlin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but look, all right, don't, as of right now, do not fax us. Do not beep us. Uh, we actually have what I believe to be an easier uh, way to contact that, to contact us. And that's going to be on several pages. Caitlin, you want to tell them about that? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at OpSilverScreen. On Facebook, we're at Operation Silver Screen, but Twitter and Instagram, that's OpSilverScreen. You can also find us on our personal letterboxes if you want to see what else we're watching throughout the week. And maybe take a look at some reviews of films that we don't get a chance to talk about on here. For me, you can find me at Coffee Spoon Kate. That's Coffee Spoon C-A-I-T. And Bryant, he's at Swank Seal. That's capital S, capital S. Till the next assignment, we'll be in HQ. Hopefully, our rug is still there, tying the H, the headquarters together. I'm Bryant. And I'm Caitlin. And thank you again for joining us, Casters Guild. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.